changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Good evening. Welcome to What's the Word? I am so thankful, as always, that you have made time to join me this evening. And maybe if you're listening to this radio program live, you're streaming on 1019wain.com, or maybe you found it on 101.9 FM, or even 1270 AM. It is live on both of those radio stations, and I'm thankful for the partnership that we have with WAIN to make this broadcast possible. And I also appreciate the folks at Columbia Baptist Church, the great folks of which I am so thankful to be their senior pastor. They make this show possible every week, along with the sweet ladies at Adair Drug, Miss Carolyn Hale and Janet Parrish. They sponsor and helps to sponsor this show, along with Grissom Martin Funeral Home. So thankful for David and Kathy Martin and for all that they do for our community and appreciate their partnership and helping to make this show possible as well. If you have any pharmacy needs, you go see Adair Drug. Those ladies will take care of you and they will meet all your needs that you have, answer any questions that you have. And if you and your family need to plan your funeral expenses out, you need to make a plan for picking out and making some of those details, you make sure that you go see Grissom Martin Funeral Home. David and Kathy will take care of you. They will also answer questions that you have and put your mind at ease with all of those details. We don't like to talk about those types of things, but it is inevitable until the Lord Jesus comes again uh, that our families will experience loss. And so David and Kathy have years of experience to help with each and every situation, every family, and they will love you like their own family and take excellent care of you. I hear every so often from people that listen to What's the Word, and they will give me some encouragement, some feedback, some just, you know, I guess some of their own personal takes on some of the stories that I share. And I'm always grateful for any feedback, any amount of help, encouragement, or you know, maybe even a new way of looking at something that I've brought up, I always appreciate that feedback. And I want to make that available to you and encourage you to email me. My email address is easy to remember. It is randy at columbiabaptist.com. Make sure that you write that down. And if there is something in the show that you want some more information on, something that has maybe just made you think and caused you to maybe have some questions about things, whether it relates to faith or life or just things that are going on in your world, please make sure that you let me know what those things are so that we can talk through those things and, uh, and you can share your thoughts and ideas with me. I would love to hear that feedback from you. I also want to just, in a way of introduction, I, I want to share a couple of things that are going on in the life of Columbia Baptist Church throughout the show. And as I'm doing that, I just want to be able to um, you know, encourage you to be as community-minded as you can. You know, our, our church tries to, just like I'm sure every church in our community, tries to pour back into our community. And I'm really encouraged that uh, that uh, our mayor, uh, Ms. Pam, is doing a great job in, in trying to get folks in our community to encourage each other, help each other, be a blessing to each other. And this coming Saturday, September the 21st, at 8 a.m., folks in our community are going to meet at City Park. And she has jobs laid out, different types of jobs, different work projects around the community, helping people that need some extra hands. Maybe there's a ramp that needs to be built in front of their home. Maybe they just need to have a flower bed cleaned out, or maybe they need to have a couple of walls painted inside or outside. Small jobs, larger jobs, cutting down trees, 
those types of things, our folks in our community are going to come together this Saturday and work together hand in hand, arm in arm to go out in the community and be a blessing to people. And so if you want to be a part of that, I want to encourage you to meet us at City Park this Saturday morning, eight o'clock, and find out what you can do and where and who you can help. And you just go out and be a blessing. We don't have to get credit for these things. We don't have to have uh, our name in the paper or our name on a radio show to feel like we have made a difference. All we need to do is be the hands and feet of Jesus and just show up and be what we need to be when and where. So I just want to encourage you to do that and uh, put that on your calendar. I know there are probably a hundred things on Saturday morning that you would have on your to-do list. And maybe helping somebody else is not on your to-do list. But I want to. I just want to encourage you to maybe put your to-do list off either later in the day or maybe the following Saturday or another time so that you can be a blessing to people that really need that helping hand. In fact, the mayor is calling it Be the Change. And we all can play a part in being the change in our community. I constantly look for news stories that sometimes make me smile, sometimes make me scratch my head, and sometimes, very honestly, make me shake my head. And there are news stories that I read from time to time that really just make me scratch my head and shake my head at the same time. It makes me wonder, how did this community, how did this family, how did this person get to that place? And I read a story the other day of a teenager in Oklahoma who wanted to shoot 400 people just for fun. Now, this was the story. Her name is Alexis Wilson, and she was charged on September the 16th with a felony for making a terrorist threat against her high school in McAllister, Oklahoma. She works at a local pizza inn in McAllister, Oklahoma. She is an 18-year-old, has an iPhone. She goes to high school. She seems to look as though, just by looking at her picture, like what you would think a typical, normal teenage girl would look like growing up in a town, growing up in a community, going to school, and just living her life eager to see what she wants to be when she grows up. But this small, short, petite 18-year-old girl has a video of herself on her phone with her AK-47 that police found in her bedroom. And with that AK-47, she said that she wanted to, quote, shoot 400 people for fun. The conversation took place with someone that she worked with, and that person that she worked with told their manager what her intentions were, and they took it serious. They took, the manager took it serious, the co-worker took it serious, they reported it to police, and the police chief, the, the county sheriff, rather, His name is Chris Morris. He said, in today's times, you can't say stuff like that. He said, we're going to take it serious and investigate it to the fullest extent and make an arrest if possible because we don't want any of our schools getting shot up. Nobody does. I mean, this this girl is five foot seven. She looks much younger than 18. Even the article says that she has a baby face and made this threat, and as, again, you know, depending on how you look at stories like this, you might say, oh, I'm sure she was kidding. I would say she was kidding if she didn't own an AK-47, but the fact that she had one and took a picture with it on her phone in bragging fashion to a co-worker, I would say that this went beyond just a funny fantasy to her I would venture to say that given a little time and maybe just the wrong recipe of frustration in the moment, maybe somebody would make fun of her at school, maybe she would feel outcast, maybe she would lose a friend or lose a boyfriend, 
Maybe she made a bad grade on a test or didn't get into a certain club she wanted to be in. And all of a sudden, the next day she comes to school armed with magazines for an AK-47, and she takes out as many of her classmates as she possibly can. You see, this is a sad reality on a couple of, on a couple of levels. One, this is why we ought to pray for our schools. We ought to pray for God's protection on our schools that this type of thing did not happen and does not happen anywhere at any time on some of the most vulnerable children in our communities. I mean, a, a most vulnerable place for our children in our communities. I mean, you can think about going to Walmart. You can think about going to a park. You can think about just going in some parking lot. But if you want a place that, as according to this girl, where 400 of her classmates were grouped together at the same time walking the halls, and she wants to, just for fun, see how many of them that she can kill, then the schools is the place that she had in mind to go first. And in all honesty, this is why every single day we ought to pray for that collection of students in our schools that God protects them and keeps this kind of, kind of thing from happening. On a whole other level, my thought goes to, where are this girl's parents? What kind of family was she raised in? How in the world did she buy an AK-47? Why was she allowed to have it in her bedroom? Why was she allowed to have the freedom of just laying an assault rifle on her bed and taking pictures with it as if to taunt people that she might get upset with. I, I wonder what kind of structure in her family allowed her to have this kind of weapon at her disposal. Aside from that, my other thought goes to how bad can life be? And I already know the answer to this question because I have three well, I have two teenagers now. I have a 20-year-old plus two teenagers. But having raised three teenagers of my own at the same time, I know the answer to this question. But the question is, how bad could life really be that you would literally want to flush the rest of your life down the toilet by being the face on every newspaper, every magazine, every website, being labeled a school shooter, killing as many of your classmates as you can get away with, and then being locked up for the rest of your life, or putting your own self in harm's way to possibly be shot by the police. How bad at 18 years old can life be when you are a petite, working senior in high school that you don't think that you can get through the rest of your life and that you're willing to flush it down the toilet just to get back at, if in fact it was to get back, at these students that she went to school with. I have so many questions about that and none of them have been answered. There is no logical explanation for why an 18-year-old student would want to do this. And yet, the simple explanation, when I go back to what's the word, the simple explanation is it's a sinful nature. It's a sinful nature that all of us are born with that causes us to be born with a propensity toward sin. We have a desire for violence. We have a desire for hatred. We have a desire for our own personal retribution. If, in fact, any of that is the case in this girl's life, but we have all been given life through at least the presence of a father and a mother. I don't know if this girl has her parents around. I don't know if she's raised in a stable home or if it is a unstable environment. I really don't know. But at least from the very beginning, there was the presence of the father and the mother and there is that sense of responsibility that every parent should feel. Every parent should take on that responsibility that the actions of my child, until they leave my home and start a life of their own, but it kind of goes back to the old saying, as long as you're under the roof of my house, this is how it's going to be. 
there's at least, at the very least, that level of responsibility that parents have. But parents, let let me just kind of camp out there for just a moment and say something to you. We oftentimes will throw out that saying of, as long as you're under the roof of my house, this is the way it's going to be. You see, that's called teaching. And teaching is not as effective as training. Because you might teach your child to be obedient as long as they live at your house. But they will, when you're not looking or when they move out, that teaching is forgotten and they'll do their own thing. That's why the Bible teaches us and uses the word to train up a child in the way they will go. And when when they're old, they won't depart from it. The difference between teaching and training is teaching teaches them how to obey when you're around. Training teaches them how to obey knowing that God is always around. Knowing that that training is not just something they do while they live at your house. That training is something that they do no matter where they are. And I wonder, thinking of this young lady in Oklahoma, I wonder how well she had been trained. Now, again, I realize that no perfect, that no parents are perfect, no training is perfect. Maybe this girl grew up in a, in a prominent Christian home with strong Christian parents, and yet she still had these desires to do that. That's why I go back to the simple answer and say, that there is something within all of us that would cause us to want to act out and be as sinful as we want to be. In fact, my favorite preacher, Adrian Rogers, once said, I sin as much as I want to. And he said, the, the, the fact is, as a Christian, my desire has changed so that I don't want to. But in reality, every single person sins as much as they want to. They make a decision, a conscious decision, to do what they want to do, regardless of their environment, regardless of their teaching, and regardless of their training. And I just, my heart just goes out to this particular girl who had the desire and thought that this was going to be the the best decision of her life is to take an assault rifle to school and take out as many students as possible. Parents, let me reflect on one other thing about this particular story. In reading about this 18-year-old girl, a couple of things. One, the girl's mother said on Monday that, and she said, and I quote, that she, quote, didn't think anything of it, meaning the daughter having the guns, because... Her daughter had been a marksman and a hunter. Well, okay, I can accept the fact that this girl is a marksman and a hunter and has guns. Having an assault rifle uh, seems a bit extreme to be a marksman and a hunter. But going back to this particular 18-year-old girl, the high school says that she had been suspended once for bringing a knife to school She had been suspended again for displaying swastikas on her personal belongings, and a school resource officer said that she even came to school wearing a t-shirt that says the Anarchist Cookbook, which is a 1971 book advocating for violent civil disobedience, and it's also been found among the belongings of other school shooters. Uh, She had also, this alleged school, or this uh, would-have-been school shooter, perhaps, liked a documentary about the 1999 Columbine High School Massacre. Now, I tell you all of that to say this. All of those pieces of evidence are not a recipe to say that this girl was going to do what she said that she had thought about. That's not... I'm not drawing that conclusion, even if the article is. The conclusion that I am drawing is to say, number one, there's obvious signs of sinful disobedience. There's signs of a disregard for human life. There are signs of a propensity toward violence and a parent who is 
seems to be out of touch with not only the violent nature of her daughter, but also of the seriousness of her daughter owning that particular type of gun. Parents, please hear my heart. We, none of us can raise perfect children. None of us can tell our children what to do, how to do it every single moment of every day because at some point they go to school, at some point they hang out with friends, at some point they may go ride their bike in the neighborhood and cook up some ridiculous plot to do some serious harm. And as a parent, you may feel as though you've done everything you could have to keep something like that from happening. And maybe that's true. My point is, don't be out of touch and don't excuse things that are obvious signs like the shirt that your child wears to school, the things that are on your child's book, the material that your child is bringing to school and why they get sent home from school because of it. If that's the case, then, then mom should have had a bigger clue what was going on. And shouldn't have excused it. Now, I understand being a parent is hard. But again, let me just close this story out by saying, pray for our schools. Pray for our families and our community. Pray for the parents of those children in those, in those schools and in our communities, and then pray for your own children. Pray them up to God every single day, every moment that you can. Pray for their protection. Pray for God to work in their heart to keep them from this kind of hatred, this kind of violence. Pray that God moves in them in a powerful way. And, and let's just pray that our children, that none of our children, that no community on the planet has to have this kind of story come out with that kind of threat. It happens. And unfortunately, it happens more times than it should. So I just, I give that to you just in a way of encouragement and just ask you to be people of prayer and, and ask these parents, uh, all of us as parents, to keep our eyes open. You know, one scary thing that I read about a, a young boy in France who was 10 years old, who apparently contracted E. coli. He died at the age of 10, but it was from a supermarket packaged meat that he ate when he was just a toddler. I don't know how this works, but what was interesting to me and, and curious to me, I should say, was that he apparently, eight years ago, when he was at the age of, of two, obtained E. coli infection from beef that was purchased in a, in a supermarket. And apparently his body continued to fight this disease all of that time. And that E. coli stayed in his system and he developed some kind of a kidney failure. It was associated with an infection. He suffered paralysis and nerve damage and was left mentally handicapped as a result. His limbs became deformed. His bones would break. He had lots of different surgeries. He couldn't eat, swallow, speak, or move and had no more ability to coordinate. He was on a feeding tube. And doctors said that his body finally gave up as a result of the test after he had passed away. I read the story and I thought, you know, here is a great example of something that happens in our families that are, that's outside of our control. This is something that happened to this family that for eight plus years they fought with their son to give him some kind of quality of life, which eventually he never really enjoyed. He had some quality of life shortly after eating that meat that came from a supermarket, but that was short-lived. And even passing away at the age of 10, 
and having all of the medical difficulties that this young man had, this, this child had, and to know that his life was so short and cut short by some kind of a infection, some kind of a E. coli disease that, that came into his body, just the idea that that took his life so quickly and cut his life so short saddens all of us to think that could have been my child. What could I have done? The answer is nothing. What could have been done to save this boy? The answer is nothing. I mean, he, his family purchased this meat from a supermarket eight years ago, made hamburgers, he ate the meat, he obtained E. coli, and then eight years later his body gave up because of all of the challenges that it had. What changes could have been made? What could have been avoided? The answer is nothing. There are all sorts of things that can and could and possibly and might happen to our children. Listen, when you, when you see a child come into the world, when you bring a child into the world, your own son, your own daughter, you stay up late at night praying when they leave the house when, they're, when they are a teenager. You pray at their bedside when they're four and five years old for their fever to break so that you don't have to take them to the emergency room. You, you take them to doctor visits hoping for the very best scenario that what you hope is not the worst is really a small nothing that can be fixed with just one prescription. However, as a parent, there is so much. There are so many possibilities, so many dangerous things that could happen and typically we call those accidents. We call those things just life happening and moving in such a rapid rate. Not everybody lives to be in their 90s and dies of old age. Bad things happen. But if I were to link the first story and this story together, what I would tell you is there are things that are avoidable. There are problems and challenges and issues that come up in life that you can avoid. And there are certain warning signs that you can see and should see. And for all of us, I mean, just aside from being a parent, just as being a follower of Jesus Christ, there are moments of conviction, there are signs of warning. There are these moments where God sends us his word, he sends us confirmation, he sends us some kind of a, of a warning sign to say, you're getting dangerously close to this, you need to slow down, you need to back off, you need to turn that off, you need to shut that down, you need to walk away from that. And there are things that are avoidable. And listen, the Bible teaches us that as a Christian... God gives us a way out of every single temptation. His Holy Spirit is that powerful that each and every time temptation knocks at your door, God steps in and gives you a way out of it. You don't have to go down that path. You don't have to blame your parents. You don't have to blame your environment or your friends, or, you know, the fact that you grew up a certain way, or that nobody ever told you this, that, or the other. God tells you and sends you so much in terms of conviction, in terms of a way out, in way, different ways of looking at something. Because, listen, I've met a lot of people that look at sin a certain way, and they look at it that way to justify it. Well, nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to get hurt. This is something I think is beneficial to me. This is going to be good for my health. This is going to make me smarter. This is going to help me to do this or that. And what they end up doing is, is setting aside the warning of God, setting aside the Holy Spirit giving you a way out of that temptation, and instead they say, no, this is good for me. This is something I deserve. This is something I need. This is something that I'm going to do. 
and we turn a deaf ear toward the conviction of God, and we turn a wandering eye toward whatever it is that's causing us to want to dive into that temptation. You see, this is why in the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When God sends us that conviction, when God leads us away from sin and toward his will, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit by saying, "Uh, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to get out of this temptation. I want to dive in it head first. And essentially we say to the Holy Spirit, and I want you to leave me alone. That's grieving the Holy Spirit because the whole reason and the entire purpose why God places his Holy Spirit in us is to lead us toward all truth, to teach us all things, and to keep us out of the bondage of sin, giving into temptation. And as Jesus prayed in the model prayer, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to lead us out of that temptation, to lead us toward the will of God, to live a life that is holy and pleasing unto him. And there are certain things that are just avoidable. Now, I I agree. There are many accidents. There are many circumstances that come up in life that you just didn't see coming and could not have put on the brakes if you had to. But there are many things, many signs, many moments that it is possible to turn away from that sin and that temptation and to find life and not to give in to something that would cause death. So speaking of being a parent and seeing children grow up and things that are out of your control perhaps or things that you think you know, I want the best for my child. I want them to grow, develop. I want them to be successful. I want them to be smart, well-liked, all of those things. And yet, millennials, this younger generation that are on Twitter, are now talking about their retirement plans and making jokes about it. And parents, I think you should be scared. I think every parent should have an exit strategy for their child, not to kick them out, but to send them on. Let them fly on their own, as it were. Let them leave the nest and go and do what God has equipped them to do. Instead of living off of your dime uh, for the rest of their life. And so millennials are making jokes about that, and some of these are quite funny. One of them says their millennial retirement plan is to move to the main floor of their parents' house. <laughs> that's, their, that's their goals. One of them says, hope we don't die in our chairs during a meeting that could have been an, e- could have been an email. I botched that one. Saying, you know, I, here's a millennial at work learning how to exist in an office and says, I hope we don't die in our chairs during a meeting that could have just been an email. Welcome to the real world. One of them says that they their millennial retirement plans are to fix problems started by the baby boomers. Well, I think every generation that comes after the former generation thinks that they are required to fix the problems that the other generation started. And of course, you know, a lot of times when you try to fix one problem, you may end up creating another one. But millennials are honestly feeling like that's their chore in life. One other millennial says their millennial retirement plan is to finally earn enough experience to get an entry-level job. Now, that's funny because it's true. Um, A lot of millennials just, they don't have any experience doing anything. And their only aspirations are to have an entry-level job. Uh, One millennial said their retirement plan is they hope that their parents plan for his retirement too. You know, I have planned for my retirement. (laughs) not for the retirement of my children. 
I have certainly uh, prayed that my kids would be responsible enough that they would even be able to take care of me if somehow or other my retirement means for my wife and I run out. But these are just funny because a lot of times, you know, as I said, they're funny because they're true. Uh, One millennial said their retirement plan is to work yourself to death and you won't have to worry about retirement. See, again, that's funny because it's true. If you just keep working and you don't ever actually plan on retiring, then you're golden. You know, you'll always have to work and always have to make an income. One funny one, a millennial said their retirement plan is to auction off the hundreds of Beanie Babies their mom bought them in the 90s. They're, they must be worth a fortune now. Well, that not that the truth? So many parents in the 90s thought that Beanie Babies, for whatever reason, were going to be their retirement hopes and dreams. Now, that sounds funny, but if you were... I guess if you were a parent in the 90s or a child in the 90s, you heard this theory that Beanie Babies were going to become serious collectible, you know, little stuffed bears that were going to be so rare that people were going to pay hundreds of thousands to find you know, the the red bear or the rainbow bear or whatever color bear they wanted or whatever it was dressed in or whatever. I, I When I heard that, I thought that was the re- most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. And no, we did not buy Beanie Babies for our kids and certainly didn't put all our eggs in that basket. Okay, so now this one here, this retirement plan will probably hit all of you between the eyes. One millennial took a picture of their parents' drawer that has 9,000 plastic bags coming out of the drawer from the grocery store, Walmart, or whatever, and this millennial retirement plan is to resell plastic bags. Now that's that's funny because it's true. Um, the last one that I saw... A millennial sadly said, why is this even trending? We all know that we'll never be able to retire. You know, when you think about the plans that you have for life, in all seriousness, and when you think about the plans that you make for your children, I mean, honestly, every parent does this. Your child comes into the world, you start making plans, thinking my kid's going to be the smartest this, my kid's going to be the fastest at that, my kid's going to be the one to hold the world record for this, my kid is going to go to this school and make this amount of money, and we start having all of these hopes and dreams and plans, when in reality, smart parents will say, I just want my child to be healthy. And that's so true, because there's nothing that breaks your heart faster than to see a child that has health issues. I mean, as an infant, as a toddler, when you see children, and and we've had children and currently have kids in our own church that have had some major health concerns and major health issues, and nothing breaks your heart as a parent more than to see your your little child your little child your little toddler your infant that's having to go to see specialist because there's something that's majorly wrong with them. And so smart parents will just say, "Listen, I just want my child to be healthy." But then once you know that your child is healthy, then you start thinking, "Okay, well now that I know that my child is healthy or once I know that my child will have some kind of quality of life, what are they going to be when they fly the coop?" What are they going to accomplish? What are they going to do? What are they going to become? And these are the kinds of of serious questions that need to be bathed in prayer. In fact, I've had the privilege of teaching some classes this semester at Lindsay Wilson College, and one of the classes that all of the incoming freshmen have to take is called Christian Beliefs. And because of the large number of freshmen that have come into Lindsey Wilson this fall, they actually needed me to teach three of the Christian belief classes, three sections of the exact same class. And I told the students just yesterday, I said to them, let me give you 30 seconds worth of free advice. 
I said, find out how God has wired you together, what your purpose is on this planet, and do that. Don't try to be something that you're not. Don't pursue something that you're not designed to do. Listen, there are people that are gifted in math. There are people that are gifted in science. There are gifted the people that are gifted in thought and making arguments. There are people that are just gifted with the ability to communicate. Whatever it is that God has wired you to do and has gifted you for, Find out what that is, make a living doing that, and glorify God throughout all of it. I would say that to any parent in the world. Do not make plans for your child and tell them what they are going to become. Pray and ask the Lord to make it painfully obvious how and why and in what manner he has wired them and, and fashioned them and find out how they can glorify God being exactly who God has wired them to be. When you find that out, you will be happy and God will be glorified. In fact, I told the students and those of you that may not know my story, I told the students yesterday, I said, I'm a perfect example of how God gives a life purpose. Because when I graduated from high school, I told God what I was going to do with my life. I told God, listen, I'm going to go to school. And I had been a Christian since I was eight years old. So it's not like I was a brand new believer. I had known Christ for 10 years of my life. More than half of my life, I had been walking with the Lord. And yet I told God when I graduated from high school, I said, I'm going to go to LSU. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a math teacher and I'm going to teach high school math. Well, I took a few semesters of some very complicated math classes. And as a result of it, I found out that math was not my calling. Well, then I shifted to elementary education, and I then told God, okay, well, the math thing didn't work, so what I'm going to do, God, is I'm going to continue to be a student at LSU, and I'm going to be an elementary school teacher, and then one day I'm going to get my master's and become an elementary school principal. Well, if you had to guess, what do you think that my mother and my father do or, or did, my dad is retired now, what they do or what they did for a living? At the time, my mother was a high school math teacher. Now she's a college math teacher. And my dad was an elementary school principal and had been an elementary school teacher when he first started out. I wasn't very creative when I was telling God what my purpose on this planet was. But through the course of some very frustrating moments in my life and trying to get my schedule to work out at LSU so that I could continue in my education courses on my track to become an elementary school principal one day, I got very frustrated. I mean, real irritated. My wife and I had been married for about a year. I went home to our apartment. I sat down on the couch and I literally said out loud, I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And just like a light switch went off, I knew in that moment, and God impressed on my heart that he wanted me to be a pastor. And it was almost like somebody, because these were popular back then, had a VHS tape of my life. And it was almost as though God rewound my life and pointed out four or five or six moments in my life where he had prepared me for that moment and prepared me to be a pastor, and I completely missed them growing up and, and living through those moments. And it was like at that moment, God said, right there, right there, right there, and right there, I prepared you for this moment. And I literally had a proverbial aha moment where all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is what God wants me to do. Oh, this is how God has wired me to be. And once I made that decision, everything else in my life seemed to fit. Everything that I had done in education, everything that I had done in life experience, every opportunity that I had had to teach or even to stand before my home church and preach as a teenager, 
on Youth Sunday, I volunteered to preach one year on a Sunday night, the next year on a Sunday morning. And by the way, those messages were terrible. And I guess that's probably why I never felt the call to be a pastor, because I thought, I can't do that. I stink at it. But through God's sovereignty, his teaching, (laughs) and through uh, many uh, hours of prayer and many hours of instruction, I was able to learn how to communicate and how to preach and how to effectively teach and give my life to the ministry. And honestly, from that moment, I realized this is what God had wired me to do. And I want to tell you, never once did my parents ever say, this is what we expect you to do. All my parents ever did was tell me they wanted me to go to college because they felt as though the college experience and the the college education was well worth it and was beneficial for me to figure out what I wanted to do, and better yet, what God wanted me to do with the rest of my life. And so parents, I just want to encourage you to not tell your kids what your expectations for their job, what their life is going to be, but literally just join them in prayer and say, if this is what God wants you to do, if this is how God has wired you and this is how he's put you together, then you do it all for the glory of God. Go as far as you can, get as much education as you can, get all of the life experiences that you can, and do it for the glory of God. And that's what I encourage. I didn't tell all of the students all of what I just told you, but I told them that first little snippet of find out how God has wired you, how he has put you together, and let that be your purpose in life. Because so many times, and churches are guilty of doing this too, and Christians are guilty of doing this too, we find out what we're bad at and what we are deficient in And we think, okay, I'm going to spend all of my time trying to get better at what I'm not good at. Rather than saying, why don't I spend my energy and effort putting into what I am good at and just do that? Somehow we think that's cheating. You know, like I'm cheating God if I only spend time on my strengths and not on my weaknesses. But you see, your weaknesses are weak for a reason, and it's not because you haven't poured energy and effort into them. It's because those are weaknesses because they're not your strengths. You know, I I played basketball in high school, and, well, I should say I was on the team. I practiced, and I wore the uniform on game day, but I didn't play very much because I wasn't very good. I was a little too slow. I couldn't jump very high. I wasn't tall. Uh, I mean, obviously not as tall as many of my teammates. Um, I could shoot decently from the outside, but I didn't have a quick shot. And like I said, I just I was I was slow, and so I didn't fit well on defense because some of the guys that I was would have had to guard were either my height were much quicker than me or a little bit taller than me and they could just shoot over me. Uh, I didn't fit well on offense because I didn't move very quickly on offense. I wasn't tall enough to shoot over people that would be guarding me, and I certainly couldn't play down low with people that were 6'7", 6'8", because you know they just overshadowed me. And I learned in a hurry that while I had some skill in basketball and enjoyed playing the sport and understood it well, it was not a strength of mine that I could just literally put hours upon hours upon hours in and be this fantastic basketball player. So what I did on the team is instead of really just spending my entire life in the gym trying to be better than guys that were just naturally gifted in basketball – One of the things that I did was literally just become a supporter and a cheerleader and an encourager on the bench. And at practice, I would guard some of our better players and I would do my best to push them to be as good as they could be, knowing that they weren't going to do the same for me. They didn't have that desire to push me to be as good as I could could be because they knew I had limitations. But listen, I played on high school with seven guys that played in college. 
I mean, on my 12-person basketball team, we had seven guys that played in college. And so that's how I know that I wasn't gifted in basketball the same way that they were, and I knew that crystal clear. So I changed my purpose on the team to, instead of trying to vie for one of those positions that I knew I wasn't going to have, I just tried to push them to be as good as they could. So in other words, instead of me being like Paul in the book of Acts and taking the lead, I was Barnabas. I was the encourager. I was the one that came alongside. And I didn't feel there was anything wrong with that because I literally tried to do my best for the team. And my senior year, we ended up being 33-1. and And we were a great team. And I think it was primarily because everybody on the team knew their purpose and they played their role as well as they could. I mean, our point guard didn't try to go down low and post anybody up close to the basket because he was five foot nine. But he was as quick as could be and he could get through the lane for a layup just as fast as anybody on the planet. So my point is about our life. Don't try to be something that you're not. Don't try to tell God, this is what I'm going to do despite how you've wired me. Find out the personality. Find out those traits. Find out those strengths that God has given to you and even that God has given to your church and maximize those things. In fact, when you think of vision for a church or even the vision that you might have for your life, Instead of trying to come up with some elaborate vision that maximizes your weaknesses, find out what your church does well that other churches may not do at all. Find out what your church's influence is in the community. Look at the number of people and the types of people that you have in your church family And really begin to pray, okay, how can our church make a difference in our community that the church down the street doesn't have the ability to do so? And whatever that is, do it. So again, I just, I say all of that in the context of being a family, that so many times we do our children a disservice when we have our own expectations for them, rather than them seeking out what God's expectations are. They'll be much happier. And so much better off if they will just simply be what God has called them and equipped them to be. You know, I'm finishing up this Sunday a message series in 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians in chapters 3 through 7, or the first part of chapter 7, Paul gives the church some wonderful encouragement on how to learn and live out their identity in Christ. You know, when you think about who has God wired me to be, how has God put me together? The first answer to that question is God has called you as a Christian to look like Jesus, to care about the things that Jesus cares about, to value the things that Jesus values. And honestly, many Christians that I have met in my life find that they get more wrapped up in what they want to do for God and they forget how God wants to work in them. And just as a way of example, uh, this past week when, when the message that I preached was a, you know, a message of, again, of just thinking through identity and thinking through, okay, how has God wired me to live and, and who has God wired me to be? There were so many different qualities that Paul pointed out that we should be in the community that we should also be toward the church. And really what it comes down to is living out our identity even when it goes against what people think we ought to be. Like a lot of times people think, well, a Christian is and they fill in the blank. A Christian is going to be successful. A Christian is going to be wealthy. A Christian is always going to be healthy. A Christian is always going to be happy. A Christian is always going to have their needs met, or or whatever. Whatever people out in the world think when they fill in the blank about a Christian. 
Paul said this is the deal. When it comes to living out your identity as a Christian, what it all comes down to is letting the world know and letting the church know that you are going to stand with Jesus no matter what. In other words, the world might see that you're losing, that you're crushed, that you have some sickness, that you have some issue, that you have lost your job, or that you have been diagnosed with cancer, or that you've lost a family member, and they're going to look at you wondering, okay, how are they going to respond now? And what Paul says to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is, and just to kind of summarize, essentially what he says is, you show them Jesus no matter what. Yes, being a Christian does not necessarily mean that everything is going to be sunshine and roses. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to lose family members. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to lose your job. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're always going to have thousands and thousands of dollars in the bank and that you're going to have more friends than you can keep up with. Sometimes being a Christian means that you're alone. Sometimes being a Christian means that you're going to be broke, that you might be sick, but that you always have Jesus with you. That you might be a loser in the eyes of the community, but because God has given you so much and has blessed you so much, you are always a winner to him. And you see, this is what I'm trying to get at on this show today. What I'm trying to get across to you is simply this. What God desires for us to be, how God desires us to shape and mold our family, what God gifts us to be as citizens in a particular community, people in a workforce, people within a family, what God's heart desire is for your life and mine is very simply to show people the greatness of his glory. That yes, you may be diagnosed with cancer, but you know what? Even if the best medicine on the planet does not take cancer from your body, God still has your soul. You will still live forever in heaven with him. Yes, you might lose your job, and it may be difficult for a season, but God is not going to turn his back on you. He will provide for you in your time of need. See, being a Christian says very simply this, I trust God no matter what. No matter what happens to me, my faith is in him. And Paul says to the church when he's listing all of these qualities in chapter 6, he's saying, look, the world might see you in this way. They might see you crushed. They might see you defeated. They might see you sick. They might see that you are facing all of these challenges. But what I want them to see through all of that is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit producing fruit in your life that would never be there otherwise. And sometimes, and this is very true, sometimes we have to go through painful things in order to have that fruit produced. And sometimes we have to go through the sickness and the loss and the, the pain and the difficulty in order for God to really do what he wants to do in our life. I'm so thankful that you joined me tonight, and I hope that the stories that I shared, the personal things I shared about my own life, the reflections from God's Word, I hope that they were a blessing to you. Uh, I, I feel as though uh, maybe a little cheating, uh, it's a little cheating, but I always feel like I get so much out of this show, and I look forward to, to hosting this show every Wednesday evening at 6. So I hope that you look forward to listening to it. You can find it on my podcast tomorrow morning. The podcast is called Walk This Way, and you can find it on Google, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Pocket Casts. Uh, just, just do a Google search, and you'll find Walk This Way, or you can go to anchor.fm backslash walk this way. That's the website that hosted, and you can find the podcast there. All of the episodes of the show, including sermons that I've preached at Columbia Baptist Church.
I hope that you have a great rest of the week, and I hope that God uses you to be a tremendous blessing to others, not only in our community, but in the world around you. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. May God bless the rest of your week. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN, right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places you can find this broadcast, you can find messages that I've preached, and I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.